0: Hello, this is Shannon Morgan, and you're listening to episode one of Sound Mind, a place to openly discuss the struggles in our minds, including mental health, trauma, addiction, and thought patterns that we can't escape. I'm not a counselor, and this podcast is not meant to replace professional therapy. More like somewhere you can go to find connection and learn about how other people's experiences might aid in your own journey. Speaking of which, I work in the field of behavioral health as a peer and youth support specialist. I share my personal experience living with mental illness, trauma, and substance abuse in order to connect with clients, which helps empower them to share their own journey, set goals, and build hope, hopefully to live more self-directed, purpose-filled lives. In that role, I collaborate with therapists, case managers, and other community-based behavioral health professionals to fully support individuals in their recovery. The website for this podcast is soundmindpodcast.com, where you can find links to social networks, more in-depth information about guests, and where you can go to interact with episodes by leaving comments or sending an email. I'd love to hear from you, especially if you'd like to be a guest on the show or you have a reaction to an episode. My guest today is Todd Maxey, who I've known for about 10 years now, and I'm very excited to introduce him to all of you. So let's get to it. Hello, Todd.
1: How are you today? I'm good. How are you doing, Shannon?
0: I'm pretty awesome. Thanks for coming here and doing a podcast with me. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you can tell all of those listening a little about yourself, what's your background? Mm
1: -hmm. As I take a drink of water immediately, (laughs) Um, I am, um, I guess the best way to kind of sum it all up is I'm from Northern California, but I moved away when I was six, Uh, six to 10. I was in Reno. Uh, my mom married an LDS man after joining the LDS church when I was two mm-hmm. um, and he became my stepdad. So six to 10, we were in Reno and then from 10 on, we moved here. Okay. As a matter of fact, uh, the first place I lived was mere blocks from this location. Oh, nice. Um, Yeah. And uh, it was by the Albertsons just over there. Mm-hmm. And uh I was raised in a really pretty big LDS family. I have seven sisters and three brothers. I have approximately 50 some odd nieces and nephews.
0: Oh my birthdays must be interesting. I don't
1: know. I don't talk to any of them.
0: (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Due
1: due to the, due to the upheaval of my family. I have, I have a very abusive family as well. I come from, uh, my mom, uh, uh, just the short version of, I I believe that my mother is a narcissist and mm-hmm. my sister has medically been able to more or less get that d- diagnosis without specifically having my mom go into the uh, counseling herself
0: kind I, of deduced it
1: yeah but it's only been the last couple of years that I'd found that out and so it's sort of only recently helped me sort of get through that. Mm -hmm. Um, I got married around 22 after serving a mission for the LDS church, um, had three kids, got divorced in 2010, was very, very LDS until about then. Um, so about 2010, um, actually about the year I met you.
0: Oh, okay. First
1: first year I met you was when we met at the 44 clubs. Yeah. I
0: I didn't realize that you were so close out of being LDS. Yeah.
1: Really months. You'd seen me months away from being LDS. And then the last 10 years has been an extreme evolution of myself Mm -hmm. going from being hardcore Mormon and what I would probably consider homophobic and racist and uh, definitely misogynistic and um a lot of things to what I would be considered to a fairly evolved person.
0: Yeah. I would say that.
1: Um, I try to make sure that I am aware of my surroundings and the people in this world. And, um, yeah, I just advocate for the, for the human being, I guess.
0: Well, you're always very concerned for the other person. You know, I remember uh, a memory at the 44 club recently, uh, this guy wouldn't leave me alone and I kept asking him to, to back off and to leave me alone, to stop bugging me. And he wouldn't. And, and then he got up there when I was singing and finally like my friend Alexa told you like, Hey, this guy's bugging Shannon. And, and um, so the, you guys got him out of the club, but I remember you were like, if I'm, you, you, know, you said something like, you should do this next time. And then you said, wait a minute, I shouldn't tell you how that you should control yourself in these situations. Yeah. And, and and it was fine. What you said was fine. But I was just impressed that you were able to stop yourself and say, wait a minute. I'm more or less victim blamed and I didn't mean to. Well, no, I don't think that you, I think that you were just concerned like next time tell us sooner. Or you were trying to, you know, right. tell me something. And, and 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 there were reasons that I didn't. I just didn't want to be that girl no. that was complaining, you know. And like,
1: I, And I felt like by not, Taking that into consideration, I was victim blaming. Like I was Mm -hmm. like, "Yo, it's your fault for not speaking up sooner. That's just crap, you know? Yeah. And so I I, thank you. I'm I'm really grateful that you see it that way. I I see it like I could have not gone there in the first place. (laughs) It
0: was just (laughs) Um, impressive to see your thought process, though. You don't often have an opportunity to see someone thinking out loud about their trying to anti misogynize themselves, if that's a word. Um, The the
1: world's just too full of people that won't change their mind.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, so I would definitely say you're an evolved person and and someone that's concerned with other people. Thank you for sure. Means a lot to me. So it sounds like your family and that influence has been something you've been overcoming your whole life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. My, my, uh, I don't know if you just want me to just go on about it. I mean, you're giving me that look like go. go well, ahead. I'm curious. Um, it sounds
0: like, um, the, the experience with your family, would you consider it to be traumatizing or would you consider it? Like you just realized you did want to, didn't want to be like them one day and wanted to change.
1: Definitely. Yes. To both. To
0: both. Okay. Yeah,
1: definitely. Yes. To both. It was extremely traumatizing. Um, the age of seven is the first time I really f- experienced what I would consider abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, I was standing in the corner after church and I was crying cause I didn't want to stand in the corner. Who wants to stand on the corner? Um, due to, due to, of course, like kids, bad behavior and stuff, I was talking or whatever. And obviously standing in the corner was nothing, but I'm crying and standing in the corner and my mom and my stepdad are arguing and I didn't think anything of it my mom stops she grits her teeth and she looks me dead in the eye like she got to my level to do this and she punched me in the breadbasket. oh man it knocked the wind out of me and it was the first time in my life i was like oh my god i don't have a protector yeah if i make her mad she's going to hurt me Mm -hmm. and that means no one will protect me and it was kind of the first realization that i was not in a protected situation Um, from then on, it sort of just kind of continued. Like my stepdad was really bad. Uh, I was a bedwetter. And Mm -hmm. if you know anything about bedwetters, it's typically a psychological response to not feeling safe. Yeah. Um, and my dad thought it was me being lazy. I wouldn't get up and get out of bed to go pee. Are you kidding me? No. Really? And so I want to pee all over myself? Good job, buddy. Right. That's that's a brilliant thought. That's exactly how it works. I totally just wanted to piss on myself, because fuck you. Who doesn't? Yeah, right? It's going to totally teach you a lesson if I smell like urine at school today. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, not having a dad that was uh, any kind of compassionate. In fact, uh, it was a couple years back that I went and confronted my fam, my parents about what I felt like was a pretty terrible childhood. And I, <clears throat> I turned to my dad and I said, have you ever tried to just put yourself in another person's shoes to try to see from their point of view. And he looked at me like I had just smacked him in the face with a baseball bat. And he goes, why would I ever need to do that? Oh, wow. Why would I ever need to do that? And he looked at me like as perplexed as I could possibly ever imagine. And I just went, oh, oh, that's why you're such an absolute ass because you just have no empathy. You cannot see another point of view other than yours. And at that point, it made me realize my family is so toxic. I just can't. I can't at all. And I stopped talking to them. I've unfriended almost every single one of them. I have I talk to one sister who is after her mental health that I do talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, but <clears throat> the other ones, I have another sibling who will reach out for holidays and say, happy Father's Day, happy birthday, whatever. But she she wasn't really part of the toxicity, so I don't really you know, give her a lot of crap. I just don't really talk to many of them because they're we're all toxic. Yeah. We're, 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 we were all toxic. We all just didn't know the lines between, oh my God, I didn't mean to break your heart and hurt you. Come here, let me make it better. It was always, oh yeah, you go straight to hell, buddy. I don't care about your feelings. And it was even like a defense of the bad stuff that they would do. You know, they would do something terrible, And then they would back it up with more terrible, Mm. and it's never a way to grow. I went, I went to a family function. I want to say it was around 2012, 2013. It was after my divorce. I got a lot of I told you so's about my divorce, which is really the best thing you can
0: It get. is, really. Yeah,
1: definitely <laughs> give me some I told you so's when I'm getting a divorce. love cause, it. Because I want it. I
0: don't feel bad enough.
1: No, no. I was already going through a divorce. Tell me that you saw it coming. That was the best. <laughs> because that makes me feel like things yeah. are going to be okay. I
0: had some of those. And there were some very frank conversations about that. Oh, my was,
1: God. People just have no filter. No. So after after hearing the I told you so's and we saw it comings and never having ever heard about it in my entire marriage, not once. You know the marriage is over and now I told you so comes up. I was like, you know, you, you didn't told so anybody. <laughs> Nothing's none of the words where I told you. Why
0: didn't you tell me then? Yeah,
1: none of it. Not that I would have listened, but. um so the marriage, you know, after the marriage got over with and uh, a couple of years passed, I was at my sister's house. I had sold her a mattress because I worked at a mattress company. So I sold her a mattress. She was pregnant. Her and her husband uh, had at home. They brought that was I was at their house for uh, Easter. She's like, go check out the mattress. So I went and felt it. And I was like, cool. Feels good. She's like, it's too firm. I said, well, it's because any anybody when you first get it, it's going to be firm. You got to break it in and stuff. She's like, no you picked a bed that was right for, for Brad because you thought you knew what you were doing and you were trying to get me to do that. And she got mad at me. She literally yelled at me. <clears throat> I got her a bed at cost from the company that I worked for. Yeah, Trying very hard to do like a huge favor for my sister who turns around and accuses me of trying to pick a bad bed for her that I thought was right for her, not the bed she wanted. And I picked exactly the bed she was after. And my whole family was there and looking at me like, why'd you do it? And I just went, you guys don't even know what I do. You don't know what happened or how I did it. You don't know what's going on here. And yet everyone's coming at me. I'm not doing this anymore. And it was the first time instead of standing and fighting, which my family always stands and fights, you stand, you scream, you punch. If you have to, you do everything you can, you win that fight. You will bring up somebody's worst backgrounds. You will tear them apart in front of everyone. That's my family. It was the first time I looked at all of that and I went, nope, (laughs) I'm leaving. And I literally left that event having my family yell coward as I left because I wouldn't stay and fight a fight that I didn't need to fight. I knew what I had done. I knew where I had been it was the first step in me seeing the toxicity of my family and going, no more.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm not doing this anymore. The next step in that evolution happened when I was dating a person who was a yeller. I'm a yeller. And I was dating a yeller. And at the time, I still had been yelling at my kids. I was never physical. I was never, ever like I wasn't belittling. But when you yell, you show that you're trying to dominate. And I didn't think about it that way. I just thought... I'm not abusing so I can still yell. And it's not right. Yelling is still a dominating thing over people. Well, I'm in a relationship with someone who was a yeller and, uh, we're in the middle of this fight argument, whatever it was. And I looked down at something. I was, I don't know why I was looking into, into the bathroom in the room we were at. And I, all of a sudden realized I don't have to, I can't tell you as a 35 year old at the time, man, how surprising it was for me to go, I don't have to do this because all of my life, that was the only option. It was always fight. That's what you knew. That's all I ever knew. And so to tell myself, not only do I not have to fight this fight, but I don't even have to get mad. Even if I'm mad, I don't have to get mad. And it was the first realization that I had complete control over my anger. Mm -hmm. I had never been in that place because in my mind, it was control the anger when the anger gets there. Right. Instead, this was don't even get angry. You don't even have to, you have control over that moment. That moment is a choice and you can either flip that switch and go crazy or you can flip that switch and go, okay,
0: Are you talking about like processing the the emotion of anger and figuring out what's underneath it and dealing with what that is instead of getting acting out?
1: Yeah. Okay. So the initial I and maybe it's just for me, Mm -hmm. I have to be very careful when saying this again. I don't want to ever make it sound like it's easy. Everyone can do it because I don't know everyone's plight. I know for me, ego has almost a flavor.
0: Mm-hmm. It's when
1: my ego is coming, and I know I'm I'm defending ego. I immediately go, "Oh damn it, ego!" Because ego's hard to fight against. Mm-hmm. You always want to be like, "I'm in the right. I've defended this position my whole life. There's no way I could be right." Well, ego has a flavor, and when you feel ego coming, you have a choice to lean into ego, or go, "All right, ego, buddy." You're here. So if you're here, there might be something I have to look at. Right. Maybe I'm still right. Maybe my point of view is still correct. But ego has to step aside so that I can go ahead and have a look at all of the nuances. Yeah. If I don't have a look at those nuances, ego's just an idiot standing his ground. Yeah. And that's the thing I had to come to a realization. But it might be the best way I've ever articulated it, to be honest with you.
0: Good. Thanks for saving um, it for the yeah, podcast. Right? <sighs> <laughs>
1: um, but, but finally being able to realize that ego was an enemy, in most cases for me, was the thing that's allowed me to do the thing that you say. Mm-hmm. Uh, the evolution, the changes. And it's every time now. Um, th- when I don't see it, when I finally do eventually see the thing, I go, ah, That's what it was. I freaking forgot. I didn't realize that. Okay, here we go. Back another direction. Happened to me at the 44 when I was talking to you. Mm -hmm. When I had that conversation, I had never had to have that conversation with anyone. So when it came out, it was me going, "Mm -mm, I can't say those words, that's not correct. And,
0: and here I am just happy the guy is gone, not even thinking about what you just said. <laughs> no,
1: I mean, you did think about what I just said. Yeah. That's why it came out. But like that guy was creepy and he was not trying to be creepy. I see part of the reason it took me so long is I he had told me his story mm-hmm. and it was sad. He had told me a sad story about stuff that had happened to him recently. And I was trying my hardest to just give him that benefit of the doubt. Well, sad story doesn't give you the right to be a dick.
0: I was doing the same thing, but then he, like, started touching my face and, like, petting my hair and just doing things that aren't normal, that, like, normal guys don't do when they're talking to you. And, I mean, kept saying, like, come home to my house, you and your friend, and let's get freaky. And I'm like, I'm not interested in that. I don't want that. No, no, no. Like." repetitively kept telling him no and he just wasn't getting it Till it was when he started touching me that i was like hell no this is it like no more i can't handle this cross that line
1: too far yeah
0: Yeah. i was worried that he would follow us out to our car and like murder us that's
1: part (laughs) of the reason why we 86 sixed him that night yeah we we not only we not only told him that he wasn't you know he was cut off but he needed to go yeah get his uber and get out so luckily he did he did. Then yep.
0: we That's felt nice. safe, and we had a really good night. The rest of the night, and you and I had a elevated conversation about <sighs> Me Too, and <laughs> it, it's
1: it's been it's been a heck of a ride too to understand those things because so much of shame has had to come out of that. Like I've had to admit to mm-hmm. being kind of shitty in some ways. I've never raped anyone. Let's be very straight about that. Sure, I've never done anything that I feel like was was like. A real super violation. Right. But I also don't know what I may have done, which has been considered a super violation. And that's where my uber carefulness comes from. Mm -hmm. Because people think, oh, I could never harm anyone. You don't know that. You don't know what your harmlessness is. Might be harmful to someone else.
0: Right. Or even what you're just talking about yelling. If you're constantly yelling Mm -hmm. at someone. That's going to degrade them. And keep them in fear. And not feeling safe. And so you noticing that. And changing how you manage your. Emotions and your anger—it was huge.
1: I, I realized that I can be completely enraged and be completely calm, which mm-hmm. is more scary for most people. <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't realize—they don't realize what loud Todd sounds like. And I never let anyone hear that anymore.
0: I get really pointed and articulate. Oh yeah, and just like quiet. Mm-hmm. I get quieter. I think that comes from having kids. i, mm-hmm. I wasn't a yell. Well, I was a yeller for a while, and yeah. then I'm like, this isn't working, right. so I got quieter and but, quieter and but, quieter. But, but
1: that, that this isn't working isn't something that I. I even had the opportunity for, because I was raised with screaming and yelling calls. Uh,
0: yeah. I was raised with a lot of that too. Okay. Um. Okay. So, but you know, it, it's the, it's a generational thing too. Cause yeah. you know, our parents' generation was raised by their spanking oh, and sp- gosh, screaming yeah. and all of that. So it gets passed down. I think that really our yeah. generation is the first one to, to really question that and put a stop to some of those things.
1: Yeah. The spanking generation is, I think, we're at the last generation of spankers. We still got kids out there that believe that it, it's right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, us being in our forties, thirties, <coughs> late thirties, <30s>,
0: right.
1: <laughs> uh, uh, mid mid thirties, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I
0: just turned 40. I'm, yeah, ba- just I'm barely a 40. Barely a 40 year
1: old. I'm not 34 at all. Oh, 43, <laughs> 43. <sighs> but anyway, just, I've seen a lot of young ones that still believe, you know, spanking still didn't hurt me. And I was like, yeah, but did you like it? we're like, no, but that's the point. I was like, no, it's not. You could, did you remember having the conversation with your parent before they hit you? You do, don't you? You do because you were like, I'm about to get hit. I'm about to get hit. I'm going to get hit. So I'm going to have this conversation. This conversation is going to happen, but I'm going to be hit. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. If you would have just had that conversation and your parents would have made that moment serious and made that pointed, you would have remembered it just as much as getting smacked, just as much as getting hit because your parent took that time to go, okay.
0: It's so funny that we're talking about this because my son who just turned 18 wrote me on Facebook and and thanked me for the way I raised him. And he said that I I used to make my kids when they got in trouble, I didn't do timeout because I hated being in the corner when I was a kid. So I would say, okay, you need to sit down and write me a letter about what you did, how it impacted those around you, why it was wrong. And when you write that, you can get up and play again. Oh my goodness. And so they did that every time they got in trouble.
1: Oh my goodness. And
0: it made them think through their actions and it made it made them yeah, showed me that they know what they did wrong and then they learned from it.
1: Oh, wow. Gosh, I think no, I couldn't do that. I would use it against them. See, you knew. I knew you knew. Oh, on, dar- Look at this contract. Son of a bitch. Signed in blood. You, you said it right here. Right here you said it. Oh, that would be the problem for me. <laughs> but that's awesome! I mean, imagine the kind of responsible humans you've just raised. Yeah,
0: I hope so. I mean, I'm about to find out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are.
1: You're, you're now started. It's the starting line. Yeah, it, poof, the gun went off. Now we get to see he's what's gonna living
0: happen. with someone. He seems to be happy. That's we'll see. Fantastic. Everything's going okay. But... Roommate
1: or a person of his? No,
0: he's he's boyfriend. Yeah, they've oh, been. Oh my goodness! I know. That's he's... fantastic. I know. I'm just like overwhelmed. <laughs> I honestly, I'm overwhelmed because it's like happening. He's an adult and. Yeah. He's not my baby anymore. Yeah,
1: My, my, my kids, um, I feel like they learned a lot of the lessons that I wanted to learn. My oldest might be a little angry still. I, I don't have anything about any of my kids. I feel like that I'm upset about how they developed. I mm-hmm. think they're all great kids. The oldest, oldest doesn't get along with the two younger ones as well. Um, and I don't quite understand. I know he has more anger about the divorce and everything than the other two do. Even though the oldest two are only 17 months apart, the Mm -hmm. oldest is, he really took the divorce the hardest. And even to this day, you know, he'll mention stuff. His mom and I were definitely a terrible fit. Like that's the, one of the things about coming from an abusive background is that you pick people who are also abusive, not realizing Mm -hmm. she's not necessarily abusive for, for podcast podcast reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's just that I chose people who aren't healthy for me. Sure. And um, you can be with people who are perfectly fine, who are really unhealthy for you. That's a very real possibility for Mm -hmm. people. Um, I mean, for example, if you were to try to date a polyamorous person, they might be perfectly fine being with you, but they want to be with other people and you might want to just be with them, but that Mm -hmm. doesn't make them happy. Yeah. That would be a good match. No. So, I mean, we all have to kind of adjust to the type of people that we're with. And when you're young, you just grab someone and go, you're the one. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it. And I was Mormon. So the rules were get off your mission and get married as quick as possible and have them babies because we're going to need more tithing we're going to really need you know you guys are giving us 10 percent, but with kids that's 30 extra percent come on
0: guys (laughs) mine was i just want to get out of the house and be on my own so i'm going to get married super young and
1: i I didn't yeah i didn't think about it that way i was going to be out on my own anyway honest honest to goodness if if wandering Todd from my two-year-old age I would wander for miles at two years old oh mm-hmm. my goodness I can tell you stories um if wandering Todd had really thought through the marriage thing he'd have been like nah
0: <laughs> this isn't for me nah we're just
1: gonna drive places <laughs> anywhere we want and you know survive because I'm I'm that type of person had I if I didn't have kids you definitely would never have known me
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: would not have lived in Idaho for more than a short amount of time. Oh, me I, either. I would have been everywhere. But yeah. that's the, the trap of what I think the Disney the Disney uh, American dream tries to do to you. Mm-hmm. Teaches you that the only way to be happy is to find your prince or princess.
0: Princess, that's have right. Have your little
1: like, prince children and princess children and then be very, very happily ever after. Because <laughs> that's all that will happen after that.
0: <laughs> and you never fight. And and you'll
1: never fight. animals. All the children will come and play <laughs> with the birds. And they would uh, come in there on no the, the fingers, and they never poop. Nobody poops. N- nobody parts either. Farts or poops. There's right. never messes.
0: We're not even supposed to talk about that. Uh, it's unsaid. That's
1: right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we have the butler to put, clean. I have to those edit all up. this
0: out. Thanks, Todd. No, no, don't edit any of that out. That's fantastic. <laughs> oh, it's funny though. So uh, moving from family and childhood, um, well, no, we'll, we'll, this will be a layer. Um, tell me you have a diagnosis of ADD. Yeah. Um, and you were diagnosed, I think at seven, is that what you said? Yeah,
1: seven years old. Uh, seven was really kind of a weird big year for me. I, I was in opera. I learned that I could start doing accents and impressions, which mm-hmm. I now, thanks to all these movements, I can't do half of, mm-hmm. um, that's okay. That's all right. I can, I can still do the ones I can do. That's good. Um, And then uh, it was the year I was diagnosed with ADHD and uh, I remember the the diagnosis vividly. I remember being told I was hyperactive with uh, attention deficit disorder. Did you
0: understand what it meant? Um,
1: Not really. It's just was, oh, this is why I'm chatty or daydreamy or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, my mom got divorced when I was two, and I think that really impacted me because she says my step my 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 real father and I were close. Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as he just left, it was just poof, he was gone. And uh, that's my dad anyway, you know, mm-hmm. like he just he he's gone, he's like, oh, no, no, not necessary for me to be here. Okay, bye. <laughs> um, and so I don't know exactly how it happened, but I know ADHD is typically a trauma response.
0: Really, I didn't yeah. read that.
1: It's, well, I mean, it, it's it's often a trauma response. It can also be a chemical response. There's a lot of different ways that it can manifest. I believe mm-hmm. mine was a trauma response. Yeah, I don't know for sure, and I can't. I don't have any medical proof to back that up. But my mom says that when my father left, when my mom and my dad divorced, and she divorced him, rightly so, with some abuse stuff going on there, um, that I just cried for months. Just cried, cried and cried and cried and cried. And that, that can't be healthy. Yeah. You know, it can't be a safe thing for a child to just cry. Um, and so not knowing what to do, she didn't take me to counseling. She didn't take me to do anything to figure it out. She just let me just cry it out. I had no idea what, what's bouncing around in there. So by the age of seven and they can't get me to focus in school, they decide to put me on drugs. And I hated it so much. Mm-hmm being on Ritalin to me was comparable to just being put in prison mm-hmm. I couldn't be who I am I never felt like I was me it was like being trapped inside of myself
0: did you try um, at all as an adult ADHD drugs or just as a child?
1: I've, I've tried them um, as an adult as well okay. as, as I got older they tried different stuff they tried to do like different types of drugs and things mm-hmm. like that none of them really they'd they'd always try to go back to Ritalin Mm -hmm. because Ritalin was the one that was typically the most effective. Adderall to me so far has been the closest to something that's less destructive. The problem with Adderall is you have to force yourself to eat. You have to really pay real close attention to your nutrient intake because with Adderall, you don't want to eat at all.
0: Well, it it wears down that that effect. I mean, because I, I take methylphenidate, which is the same thing. Yeah. Um, and at first, yeah, you definitely want to eat less. But after a while of taking it, it's not as strong. And then it's just kind of running in the background. But when you first start taking it, it is like a, a huge like, whoa, on your system. It's a yeah. tidal wave of difference.
1: Yeah. And I, I, I never really felt like that went away for me. Okay. I just always kind of felt like I had to always sort of manage that. I I'm, I'm a big advocate of multivitamins of, not multivitamins, not, you know, but taking all kinds of different vitamins, mm-hmm. I guess that still counts as multivitamins. Mm-hmm. I always pictured that one horse pill. <laughs> I say multivitamins, like one big horse pill, I guess, well, it's not an effective way to take it. Um, but I'm, I'm going to, I believe like magnesium is necessary if you're going to take any of those metals because it makes up for stuff that our body burns in order to give us a lot of the things that we're getting out of it. Of mm-hmm. course, the medication itself has all that stuff in it, but we burn a lot of stuff while on it. So it's important for us to get that, that yeah. make up for, for those nutrients and stuff. That was the part that I think I've had the hardest time with my whole life is nutrients for me. I'm, I'm real thin. I've always been real thin. So nutrients for me is like a balancing act. That's always like right on the needle's edge. Mm-hmm. I either have enough food and I'm fine, or I don't have enough food and I'm a little hypoglycemic mm-hmm. and I, I don't have a fat store really. And not that, that I'm doing it on purpose. It's just a genetic thing for sure. me. And so ADHD, you know, if I forget to eat for several hours because I'm just not paying attention I'm starving all of a sudden
0: Mm -hmm.
1: don't realize why and I'm cranky and if I was on like ADHD meds I'd immediately be a rage monster yeah and I just I can't I won't play with that fire anymore yeah I don't like anger
0: well it's good that you found a way to to function without the yeah. medication. Yeah, for, me. for me it's um really helpful. I I kind of go away from it and then come back to it sure. just depending. Yeah. But um for me it's really helpful uh just focusing because I, I do peer support. So I work with people talking about m- their mental health. And mm-hmm. if I can't focus on what they're saying and I can't be present and I right. can't be there, that's bad. So yeah, I, that, that's, that's good. a good, re- a big reason that I went back on the med- medication because it helped me focus at work. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do know other people that are like you that are like, no, the drugs are, maybe feel cracked out. Yeah. There's like, I don't like them. And they find a way through nutrition and exercise and other things to, to, to work out their ADHD stuff.
1: Yeah. Um, I, and you know, just, just what you're saying. It's, it's, that's the hard part about not taking medication is you have to learn to compensate Yeah, by listening extra and being more, more attentive extra. And it doesn't necessarily bother me unless I have to do it excessively throughout a day. You mm-hmm. know, like if I were to try to do this for a full work day, I'd need medication or I'd need something else to help me focus. Yeah. Um, I did, I did learn that I'm bad enough of a listener that I had to learn how to be a better listener. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's one of the weird things that ADHD did do for me. Is it like, it gives you superpowers in certain areas. I'm a good listener until I'm a terrible listener (laughs) and I'm a really, really good listener right up until then.
0: Right. (laughs) Um, And it's off, off a cliff.
1: And then it's, (laughs) Looking off into space.
0: Well, it's like for me, it'll be exactly like someone will be talking to me and then they're like, and then my dad died and I should be focusing because he just said their dad died. That's a right. big deal. But I'm like i wonder if i did this today and and, then i'm off on a
1: memory rewind
0: and and then they're like and that's why i am the way i am and i'm like oh crap i just missed this whole person's life story like how do i ask them to repeat that and and, and everybody has attention problems but when you have attention deficit disorder it's really hard
1: i try really hard to um That's when I was telling you I have memory recall. I have a really, I have a really interesting memory, due to my choice in green past past pastimes. I have a little less of a memory now, but my my memory um, does this thing where when I'm listening to a conversation, it will try to record it for me, Mm -hmm. even if I'm not closely paying attention. Um, that's nice. And and, well, it can be, Mm -hmm. but it also means that I have to take a second to re replay it before I can do a, do the conversational response. So Uh I'll be in the middle of it going, Oh yeah. So when she passed away, that had to be hard. And they're looking at me like, (laughs)
0: <laughs> what? Damn
1: woman! Just coming to this realization right now is like, well, yeah. I am because when one parent it. dies,
0: it is a little hard. Yeah, it's a That's little tough. Tough.
1: But your brain just replayed it, right? Yeah. So I didn't come to that realization when they said it.
0: Mm-hmm. I came to it when
1: my replay happened, and I went, "Oh my god! Mm-hmm. Oh my god! I'm so sorry." And they're like, "You weren't listening." No, I am. <laughs> That's why I'm responding this way. I just didn't at that moment until now when I am listening. Does yeah. that make sense? I don't know how to explain it better now. I
0: have a disclaimer with everyone I all of my clients and anyone I get personal with, right. like this is how my brain works. Don't take Smart. offense to th- these types of behaviors. It's Smart. not personal. I am listening. Yeah. I'm trying to listen. It's not that I don't find you interesting. It's just boop. Yep. I just flip out. Like it just goes off to some other place.
1: I think that's I think that might be for me. I know that I'm not diagnosed with it, but I either have CPTSD or mm-hmm. I have gone through CPTSD. You want to
0: define what that is, folks?
1: Um, complex uh, post-traumatic, post-traumatic stress traumatic, disorder. Yeah, post-traumatic stress disorder, and it's more or less um, it's more or less somebody who's never out of war. Mm. They're constantly in war. CPTSD versus PTSD. PTSD is. I still respond badly to certain things, but I'm respon- I'm I'm recovering ish. No, PTSD doesn't always necessarily recover. I'm not trying to ever say that, but CPTSD, from what I understand, being um, it's more immediate. It's like I'm constantly in war. Um, adrenaline levels are high often. You get into a high adrenaline situations through conversation quite often. Um, things can trigger you that no one else notices that you're being triggered and you don't even really notice it because we trigger so often as a CPTSD person, um, with what has happened in your past and what's happened in my past. Um, not so much as recent, but even a fairly recent relationship of mine. I have, um, I have CPTSD. I, I,
0: from the relationship?
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's 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 a compounded time frame. Mm-hmm. See, it's not just that relationship, it's that relationship va- va- validating all the other failures as it goes past. And I'm sure you I feel
0: can, that way about sexism and misogyny, how it's impacted me over time. Yeah. It's not one instance of that I can say this is a thing that's traumatized me, it's all of them.
1: And that's the reason why I try to tell men they don't understand that their one comment is not one comment. Right. Your one, you look beautiful today and walk away can be amazing. It can be. But you pick the wrong setting just for the wrong second. And it's that's a terrible, horrible, horrifying moment for a woman. And it, you don't even know why. Oh, I just said she looked amazing. Yes, but you don't know that two days ago she was assaulted and da-da-da-da-da and blah, blah 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 And men look at it like, oh man, I just think she's so beautiful and I got to tell her. Well, maybe not so much. Maybe it's the way you're telling maybe her. Maybe it's the way you're telling her. Maybe it's that. But also at the same time, men, I think we honestly think we have to vocalize it every time. Oh, man, I see someone beautiful. I got to take this chance right now. Why? Why do you got to take this chance right now? I I got to make sure that she hears what I'm what I'm about, man. I got to be able to God, like
0: I, the ones that tell me I'm pretty all the time are the ones I'm w- weary of. Other guys just talk to me, and yeah. that's you know just to have a conversation and well, like so those guys what may- are you interested in? And I, well, this this is what I'm. In. Well, how about you? And well, then, then we're having a conversation, but when you make it about you're so beautiful every five minutes, that's shallow, then it's insincere too. Because yep. like if I hear it when I'm like you know putting my makeup on and they just happen to see me in the mirror and they say it, then it kind of means more.
1: You have figured out where abusers attack. Yeah. <laughs> you figured
0: that
1: out and they attack by making their opinion matter Yeah, and then taking it away or destroying you through it. That is, I could see it in the response you were just talking about. You were just like, oh, and they say these things and that's unfortunately the problem with misogyny mm-hmm. is that. Where is it? Where is it wrong? Well, it's wrong in so many different places that we can't really figure it out. And Mm -hmm. so we have to be extra delicate. And that's why you see me check myself so often Yeah, is because there's no way I can be fully aware of all the things I need to check. There's just no way. Yeah, there's just no way.
0: And the spidey senses too, like some guys, that that guy at the bar, it just, he just felt wrong, you know? And I learned I would, if I would have listened to that feeling, I never would have got assaulted because I felt that way about the guy that assaulted me and I ignored it. And I went on with the relationship anyway, and it ended up.
1: See, I, I, I don't want to tell you, you just victim blamed yourself, but a little bit you did.
0: Oh, sure. Maybe a little bit, but it's still true.
1: Okay. So let's take that somewhere. Yeah. that somewhere. How can you really explore your life if you don't explore? How can you really, truly give yourself credit for knowing yourself if you don't take risks? What you did wasn't bad. You didn't do something. I don't know. I'm not trying to change this in anything else. I just want you to know that I don't think you made a mistake. I think you chose a life decision that everyone makes. And it ended up backfiring because it was a terrible person that you made that choice on. It wasn't your mistake. You didn't make a sure. mistake. They made a mistake to decide to be that person. Well, You're a wonderful person who decided to try to give someone a chance with love. You thought love could have its chance. That's beautiful, Shannon.
0: It is beautiful, but I still feel like some people If you get an instinct about someone and you should listen to your instinct. And that's all my point was, is that, you know, you meet, you meet some, someone tells you you're beautiful and and you take it as a compliment one minute. And then another person tells you you're beautiful and it doesn't, it feel authentic. It doesn't, something about it doesn't seem right.
1: I agree with that.
0: And so you just need to be really hyper tuned and listen to your gut when you're meeting people. And this is true for men as well, because women are abusive. It's not, we don't have the cornerstone on abuse, you know? And so meeting women and the same thing, if you have that little bit of instinct, that's telling you. "Ah."
1: That's the thing that's got me right now. Yeah. So the relationship that I got out of that, I felt felt was abusive. um, Again. I I could have been dealing with uh, a covert narcissist and I could have very well just been dealing with someone who, when we meet in the middle, we just don't do well. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of indicators that that, that, that indicate it was a covert narcissist, Mm -hmm. but there's also indicators that it was just an unhealthy match for me. And we were drinking all the time and we were, we were just, I, I don't think there was more than three, two days that would go two days that would go by without alcohol. Yeah. And, and a good amount of it. Um, alcohol is destructive for many reasons. And one of the reasons is it doesn't really allow you to really see yourself well. Mm-hmm. It just turns you into something that's not really you. Yeah. Um, and so after getting out of that relationship, the abuse that it was, whether again, whether it was me, whether it was her, whether it was us was so huge that now I'm at this place where I'm like, you know, I now will get someone that I would have normally been insanely attracted to. I won't even talk to them.
0: <laughs> you're, t- you're questioning I, your instincts.
1: Yeah. My instincts again, same like what you're saying. You know, I I used to be where I'd be like, oh, shoot, look at this one. That's this one's right. got me
0: going. Yeah. Damn. Now
1: I'm like, oh, this one's got me going. Trouble.
0: Well, and we were talking, um, not in this conversation, but about narcissism and how your mom was a narcissist and Mm -hmm. how you were attracted to narcissists. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, again, my mom, again, my sister was diagnosed, uh, my sister's counselor diagnosed my mother with narcissism, not meeting her. Yeah. Going through all of what my sister had gone through put that deduction together and said, yeah, it's a a pretty good chance your mom's a narcissist. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not trying to necessarily attack my mom by saying all this. This is just a human thing. And the boomer generation is full of narcissists. (laughs) It's not because they're bad people. It's because the way they were raised was to believe that you just have to tough up and that anyone else is just a pansy. Mm-hmm. And, and that generation doesn't understand how humans really work. It's just, yeah. you know, mer, 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 mer. And so it's a whole generation of, we don't give a crap about your feelings. Yeah. That's the reason why F your feelings is one of Trump's favorite uh, things that everybody likes to say. If your feelings, if your feelings, yeah, well, feelings matter. And the reason why the whole generation is going down in smoke, uh, going up in smoke, I should say, is because feelings do matter. I got to a place where I was so, so much thinking that romance would save me Mm -hmm. that I kept getting into abusive relationship after abusive relationship after abusive relationship. And it made me realize after my sister told me mom's a narcissist, I was like, Oh my God, that means so-and-so was and -and so-and-so was and -and so-and-so was and -and so-and-so was. (gasps) Oh my God. So many narcissists.
0: Well, narcissism in women is actually pretty rare. Um, You can
1: find it pretty easy if it's what you're attracted to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If you're, that's what your radar is tuned to.
1: Yep. And that's the funny thing is people think that you're attracted to a narcissist when in reality, a narcissist is attracted to you. Narcissists will find their prey. Right. They will find those that believe their lies. Mm -hmm. They are always a victim or a hero always one or the other and they have always got to be validating that point victim or hero
0: they've got an inflated sense of self
1: mm-hmm. very inflated sense of self and anyone else's invalidation is invalid doesn't matter at all nobody else's anything matters they are they'll make rules that don't apply to them mhm um It's just very different dealing with a narcissist. You just don't. That's why they call it gaslighting whenever they do anything almost because you just, you're like, I feel crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You're being gaslit. Mm -hmm. Choosing, choosing narcissistic people after having been raised by a narcissist is, 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 is is an old conversation for a lot of people, but it's new for a lot of people because they don't realize they've been doing it their whole life. Oh yeah. My mom was a narcissist, but I, I wouldn't dare. No. Well, look at all the people you've dated. Oh, my God. Oh, my God.
0: Well, mental health reflection in general is rare, even in our generation. I mean, really talking about mental health and being open about it and understanding it. And it's not something that's that's why I have this podcast because I'm wanting to make these conversations more mainstream. But they're not. No, unfortunately.
1: And that's I, I, I have to agree with you. If you don't make it mainstream, people will keep keep doing what the boomers are doing. And that is turning it into a you're broken and there's nothing about you that we can redeem because you're broken. Well, that's not true. Yeah. As a matter of fact, my broken can help fix the future. My broken can help everyone else not be more broken.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I want to do that. That's, that's why I'm more than happy to be a part of this because this matters. Mental health is not being talked about enough in this country. And the fact that, most of our friends are on some sort of medication for something of some sort that has to do with mental health and nobody talks about it. Yeah. is pretty sad. Yeah. You know, we all really need some help. We all need to reach out to each other, but we don't feel safe because this is America Mm -hmm. and in America, you have to be able to do it or you're, you're terrible.
0: Well, you're raised by people that told you your feelings don't matter. Right. (laughs) Right. Talking about feelings is really uncomfortable.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I've actually tried to make it, make it comfortable for me.
0: Oh, me too. And for my kids, I ask them all the time how they were feeling like yeah. your feelings are really important and don't let anybody tell you they're not. Yeah. It was a big, big part of my parenting his yeah. empathy.
1: Yeah. I had a, I had, I have many of those times with my kids as well. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Yeah.
0: Well, you don't want to pass down the bad stuff. You There's good stuff that I've passed down, many, many good things that I've passed down. Yeah. But then there's other things that are not good. And I've been very careful to evaluate those things and, and try to find out how I can change the way I do things to make sure they don't have that as their normal.
1: Yeah. That's the only thing you can do.
0: And how to interact when they come up across someone who that is their normal, which my kids are really struggling with because they've got relatives who are in those in that generation you're talking about that thinks about things a certain way and then tells them you're young. So your opinion doesn't matter. What do you know? You're only 18. And that's such a horrible thing to say, because, I mean, in terms of being informed, they're. Arguably more informed because they're the internet generation and they actually take the time to learn things because everything's at their fingertips.
1: Yeah. And, and you get the older generation that thinks they already know, so they don't do any of this. So
0: research. they don't do research, exactly. And so
1: they're telling you with zero research that you're an idiot, which is it's a gaslighting. It's gaslighting. It's yeah, gaslighting the the entire generation gaslights because they don't know how to get new information and their old information is all they will go off of. Mm-hmm. That's a very good point
0: yeah I mean, and like I said, there are also really good things that we can learn from them that that we we don't aren't necessarily as good at no yeah. um you know, so I don't want to make it sound like a whole generation is bad because that's not true, but i I know that our our species evolves and that we have to evolve, yeah. and that these conversations are what make that evolution happen yeah
1: I will say this that the younger are are at our age, you and I are mm-hmm. unique in this conversation, yeah <clears throat> um Those 20 years younger than us are having this conversation. And this is why, I mean, this gets into a much deeper conversation, but this is why our country is having the type of economic problems that we're having is the younger generation isn't buying into the lies, Mm
0: -hmm. isn't
1: buying into the deceptive cycle. and we can get into a whole nother conversation about the politics of everything but the politics run right into the narcissism of that generation yeah and that's the whole reason why we're in this, the boat that we're in right now where nobody in government truly cares about anyone not in government yeah the lower the lower people anybody else is lower And all the people that need help are trash and all the people that they want to try to make these, they, they, they don't want to make the right. Programs to take care of people who need to be taken care of because they don't see them as people. Well,
0: it's interesting. I'm going to have a guest um, on the show, and he has run for office three times oh in Idaho, Adriel Martinez, and he was just talking about how the only people who get elected are rich people. And you can have—he's a, a veteran. He was deployed twice to Afghanistan, and he's an impressive, impressive guy. And he's run three times and can't get elected, and can't get a job working for the Democratic Party. He can't i mean if there's just, it, i look at him and i'm like why do they not find a place for him at the table because he's clearly smart he's clearly got experience yeah
1: it's the abuse of the system they don't yeah. they don't want to let anyone in um that's that that makes the system looks like it hasn't been working mm-hmm. that's the other reason why they don't want to change the two-party system i'm i'm as left-wing as you get i'm as far left as as it gets but i don't believe them at the Democrats are doing it right as far as the DNC.
0: The DNC, yeah. The, the DNC. system. Like the whole system, all of us are starting to question. Right. Like, why are we still participating in it? Why are the,
1: we voting for someone who's virtually just another Trump?
0: Why we keep voting for 70-year-olds uh, to be president?
1: Right. Who who Biden also helped with the reformation of the new police with the way the police are right now. Yeah. And so Biden's not a better choice, but I don't want Trump.
0: See, that's a whole other that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. But the, the, the <clears throat> but the mental health um, aspects of politics would be really interesting to well, get and into and because
1: that's the whole thing it boils down to yeah. this whole country is in a mental health crisis that we're not willing to talk about. Yeah. The entire country is mentally breaking down. We all have PTSD. <laughs> we all of us, we don't have a government that truly cares about us. We don't have a parent to come home to, as it were. Yeah. We have no one who will give us a hug and cradle our. Our heads know, there's, while no, we're there's no
0: there's no safe place, like you were saying there's, earlier. There's no safe place, and that's yeah. the problem.
1: Is your podcast is essential for this time frame because we need to understand that there needs to be safe places.
0: Yeah, people need to feel comfortable talking about their mental health struggle and their mental health evolution, and, nope. and not be ashamed of it. But nope. say, hey, I was there, and now I'm here. This is how nope. I did it,
1: or even I am there now. Right, and I need help. It doesn't matter going if, through it. If you're, it's uh, that's the hard part too, us. I know I I've avoided people who have have been too heavy for me in the past. And sometimes I still will. If it's too heavy, I can't carry it. I won't necessarily try to, I won't necessarily tell them. And I should that right now I can't carry what you have to, what you have to bring. And Mm -hmm. I really need to, you know, carry what I have, but we're at this place where it's just so scary to even bring that up because will I lose all my friends? Will Everybody run away from me because I have mental illness issues. Well, I think so many people are having them now that I think they're going to start being a little more understanding. <laughs> I
0: think so too. I think so too. Well, that seems like a good place to wrap it up. Do you have any final thoughts or anything you want people to take away from this interview?
1: I, I just really, um, I just really am grateful for what you're doing here. I'm really grateful for, for the opportunity to voice it. I'm sure I didn't tie up a lot of loose ends. I do that sometimes, sometimes unfortunately. <laughs> um, but I personally believe that anybody, who has the desire can grow from their mental health issues things that have hurt them in the past. I don't want to say issues like you're broken because you're human. We're humans. The reason why we break is because we haven't been treated with the delicacy that we deserve. And we all deserve love. We all deserve to be treated kindly. So, this Amen, kind of a podcast is solidarity for those people who deserve that. Amen, brother. I'm grateful for it. Thank you.
0: Thank you, John.